Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be doing guided breathing mindfulness meditation. This is part of our group learning program where we meet right here on Sundays and Wednesdays in order to learn the teachings of the Buddha and practice the teachings of the Buddha through meditation on Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, we do either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation and we rotate these. We're more than halfway through this program where we're studying this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And on Sundays, I give a talk on each chapter in this book. We just did a talk this past Sunday on true love. And this particular Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 16, which is dissolving the ego. The ego serves no purpose because it's really important to be able to dissolve that as part of getting to this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And if you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining us many times now, you're welcome to continue to join us on Sundays and Wednesdays to learn and practice these teachings. And you can access this book at no cost by going to buddhadailywisdom.com, clicking on the button for free books, and you'll see there that you can download it. You can take that file and print it yourself or order printed copies through amazon.com no matter where you are in the world. So thank you all for your determination, your dedication and diligence to learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha. I'm going to be guiding you in meditation today and then I'll open up for questions at the end of our meditation session. I'll just share a few things with you here for anybody who hasn't joined us before or for those of you guys that have joined us in the past, just to kind of refresh your memory of what we're actually doing during breathing mindfulness meditation. As you move into meditation, what I'm going to guide you guys into doing is focusing on the breath. You would like to develop this nice, gradual, natural, consistent breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose that breath becomes your anchor point. It's the point that you focus the mind on. You fixate the mind on the sound of the breath entering into the nose and exiting, or the sensation of air moving into the nose over the skin. You focus the mind on the breath because this is the way that you develop right concentration or singleness of mind in meditation. Outside of meditation, you just do one thing at a time in order to develop singleness of mind. But in meditation, you focus on the breath. That's your single object of focus. And then as you're developing mindfulness or awareness of mind, you just continue to focus on that breath, continuing to focus on the breath. But then at different times during your meditation, I'm sure you're going to experience thoughts and the mind is going to move off the breath. 
And your goal is to observe with awareness of mind or mindfulness that the mind has moved off the breath. And when it moves off the breath, you observe that, but you catch it and you cut that off and let it go and come back to the breath. The breath is the present moment. It's right now. When you breathe, that's right now. But the mind's going to want to go to the past, to the future, have all these thoughts and ideas, these various perceptions that come in. And when that happens, the mind is not doing what you're asking it to do. It's being this wild animal pulling in all these different directions. Your breath is like an anchor. It's like a post. And what you would like to do is when you feel this mind pulling and tugging in any direction that isn't sitting down at this post, when the mind's pulling away, you want to yank it back. And then it's going to sit at that post for a little while. And then the mind's going to pull in another direction. And then you yank it back. And then the mind pulls in another direction and you yank it back. Over time, multiple sessions, two or three sessions per day, building up to 30 minutes or more per session, the mind gets better and better at just staying at this post, staying at this pillar. This breath is the post or pillar for your meditation. And then it starts to reside at this post and pillar where the mind is quieted and stilled for longer and longer periods of time. But even when the mind is enlightened, you'll never get to a point where you have no thoughts at all during meditation. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to eliminate thoughts. As long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. The goal is, is that you observe the thoughts that when your mind is off the breath, you know it and you cut them off and let them go. And you're more and more easy to pull the mind back and then it will have a tendency to stay at this post or this pillar on the breath. Because what we've experienced in the past before training is we experience the mind just being this wild animal, running all over the place, frolicking in the forest, you know, running up and down trees, jumping from limb to limb, going in and out of the stream, running all through the forest. While that sounds really great and really wonderful, it's not really great and wonderful when you're trying to focus on helping your children or you're trying to focus at work or you're trying to focus in a conversation and you're trying to have meaningful conversations. You don't want this wild animal running all over the place. So this wild animal is trying to control you. And what you're doing in meditation is you're building this mental discipline. You're building the ability to control the mind so that the mind won't control you. So in daily life, rather than reacting in situations, you can respond because you have this wisdom that you've now trained the mind and you have more control over the mind. So as long as we allow this wild animal to run all through the forest, it's going to give us challenges and give us struggles and give us difficulties when we're trying to focus it on certain things. So in meditation, we're gradually training this wild animal. Just like if you had a wild animal from the forest, it's going to take gradual training to train this wild animal. It's going to take gradual training to also train the mind. But then you're going to experience more and more benefits of having trained the mind that now in daily life, you'll be able to have focus, concentration, deep memory and clarity of thought that will then be able to benefit you in daily life. And it's only when you commit to a regular, consistent, ongoing meditation practice that you'll experience the benefits and the results of this gradual training that you implement. 
So we're going to do the breathing mindfulness meditation today to develop concentration or singleness of mind, to develop mindfulness or awareness of mind, and to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, that when the mind is longing with this strong eagerness for the past or the future, having thoughts, ideas, perceptions, we cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. And then in daily life, when our mind is doing that, if we're having a conversation and our mind wanders, then we can cut it off and bring it back. Or if we have a certain situation where we start observing frustration or anger or sadness or guilt or fear or any of these other discontent feelings arising, we can observe that because we've cultivated awareness of mind and then we can cut it off and let it go. But we can't do that if we haven't trained the mind to do it. Just like if you were a professional athlete, you wouldn't be able to perform your professional sport if you hadn't dedicated time, effort, energy, and resources to the training. You have to train to be a professional athlete. You don't just wake up one day and just, I'm gonna be a professional athlete and go out and perform at the top of your game. Instead, those people are gradually developing their practice of training the body and training the mind to be able to perform at that sport at professional levels. So the same thing is your daily life is like this performance, not necessarily that you are performing, but you're going out into daily life every day and you need to perform. The mind needs to perform optimally. So you need this gradual training and not allowing this mind to wander around like a wild animal we need to train it so that we have mental discipline and mental control. And that's what this path is all about so that now you can control the mind and through you being able to control it, that's where the mind becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because now you have more wisdom of how to actually train the mind, not just in meditation, but in daily life too. There are certain aspects of this path and training that you implement as part of your daily practice in daily life. That's where we practice generosity, we practice moral conduct, and we practice meditation. This is what the Buddha called the way of practice. This is our way of practice as Buddhist practitioners and people who are interested in progressing to this better way of life is we practice generosity on an ongoing basis of giving and sharing. We practice moral conduct of right speech, right action, right livelihood, and we practice meditation or this mental discipline of training the mind. These are the three things that we're doing on a continuous, ongoing basis. So let me pause and see if you guys have any questions on anything I just shared or the meditation that we're going to be doing today. And then after that, we'll just go into meditation and then open up for questions at the end of meditation as well. Hello, teacher. As for focusing the mind on breath, what if one is unable to focus the mind on breath? I mean, uh, for some people, it seems that they are unable to do this effort to bring the mind back on breath. This is an indication that you deeply need meditation. If you're having challenges to meditate and you're finding it really hard and you're getting bombarded with thoughts during meditation, this is normal for some people. That's the way I started out with meditation for many, many, many months and years. I just had a complete bombardment of thoughts. So through dedication and diligence, you'll gradually improve. But 
you might experience you know several months or several weeks of this bombardment of thoughts and this is showing you how cluttered the mind really is and rather than saying oh i'm no good at meditation i'm not going to do this that would be somebody who is expecting or craving or desiring immediate results and because you've meditated for a week or two or three now you experience those bombardment of thoughts and now i'm going to give up because i'm no good at meditation well the reason why someone is no good at meditation is because they're not meditating you can't be good at something if you're not actually dedicating time effort energy and resources to doing it just like this athlete you can't be a professional football player or a professional pole vaulter or a professional ice skater if you're not willing to do the work in order to get there so if you're experiencing a bombardment of thoughts and lots of clutter in the mind, this is an indication of just how much is truly in there. And you're never going to resolve that if you turn away from meditation. Instead, you need to really become diligent to work closely with the teacher and closely with your own practice, developing your practice, and then gradually work towards improving the condition of the mind. Nobody starts out meditation as an expert, nobody. Even the Buddha himself, he didn't start out meditation as an expert. So we shouldn't have those expectations of ourselves. We shouldn't have those craving desires to be an expert from day one. And instead, look at this as a lifelong journey that we're going to gradually build up to. And there's going to be different amounts of clutter and bombardment of thoughts at different times during our journey. And that's just part of it all. But gradually and slowly, we can improve that. Does this mean that everyone is able to improve their mind condition? I would say yes. As long as somebody has the capability to learn and they have the dedication and diligence to apply the effort and energy to practice, then anybody who chooses to learn, if they have the ability to learn and they have the dedication and diligence to applying effort and energy, then yes, they can improve. Of course, there's some people in human society that have been born with challenges with the physical body that inhibit them from learning or they might have experienced a traumatic injury where they no longer have the ability to learn and develop new skills this is possible so in terms of the universal truth of impermanence not every single person in the world can attain enlightenment right now in this particular human life because we might be lacking certain physical qualities with the brain and other things that hinder us from being able to uh, learn and apply the effort and energy. But if you're listening to this and you understand what I'm saying right now, then you have the ability to learn and you have the ability to take in information, understand that information and then apply it. What I'm really describing here in terms of people who don't have that ability or, or you know, people who are challenged with physical aspects of the body and the brain that they maybe can't even read because they weren't able to read and write, that they were lacking the faculties with the eyes or the, the brain or how the body functions, that they weren't able to even develop some of those basic skills to be able to learn growing up. Or like I said, they might have had a traumatic brain injury where they're unable to take in new information and learn. But if you're watching this, if you're listening to this and you can understand what I'm saying right now, then you have the ability to learn. Thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. Okay. 
So let's go ahead and start our meditation. We'll usually do this in the seated position, but you're also welcome to use the standing or lying position. These are other positions that you can use. When I'm teaching students in person, I also teach the walking position as well, because this is a really important position to have. There's a YouTube video that you can use that I created that will teach you walking position, but it's a challenge to do that in a fixed point like this with live streaming. But you can surely use seated position, lying position, or standing position. So make the lower body comfortable if you're in the seated position. With that, you would like to probably put some cushions under your rear to lessen the angle at the hips, knees, and ankles. If you're in a chair, you just would like to comfortably be in the chair where your feet are either flat on the floor or maybe lightly crossed at the ankles. This isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same. It's about finding what's comfortable for you and what's working for you. So I'm gonna give you different options here. With the hands and the arms, you would like those to be relaxed in the lap. Put your right hand over top of your left and the thumbs together. That would be the way that the Buddha did it and he put that in his lap. But this isn't about doing it exactly the way the Buddha did it. So if that's not comfortable for you for some reason, you can put your palms on your thighs, your knees, you can put the arms on the armrest. Essentially, when you get into position, you would like the lower body to be completely relaxed and comfortable and the hands and arms to be completely relaxed and comfortable in the lap. The upper body, you would like that to be erect. That's very important to have the upper body nice and erect. You don't wanna lean back in the chair and just be so luxurious or so complacent, but you also don't wanna be real rigid either. You would like to have the body erect where it's in the middle and by keeping the upper body erect, it keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Because during meditation, this is real work. You should be working and applying effort to focus on the breath, developing that concentration developing awareness of mind or mindfulness, and as you observe that the mind's off the breath, that you cut that off and let it go. So it's real work during meditation. And this is why when you first start a meditation practice, you're most likely not gonna be able to do 30 minutes or more until you get more developed in your practice. Maybe five or 10 minutes is perhaps all you can do when you first get started because it's a lot of work that the mind hasn't done before. So keep the mind attentive and alert by keeping the upper body erect. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Develop your own pace here, your own breath. I'm gonna be providing guidance, but your breath most likely is not gonna sync up to the guidance that I'm providing. So you just focus on your own practice. I'm just here to guide you. This is your meditation. So when I say breathing in, that's just to remind you to do that. Whenever you get to the next in-breath. And then I'll just remind you to breathe out. Wherever you get to the next out-breath. Breathing in. and out. The breath should be a nice, natural, gradual breath. 
breathing in through the nose. Not a forced breath, not trying to control the breath. Just a nice gradual inhale. Observing the full breath coming into the nose. And then a nice gradual exhale out through the nose. Observing the full exhale going out through the nose. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. In these early stages of meditation, your focus is just to establish the breath. The real work hasn't really begun yet. You're just establishing the inhale and the exhale. Observing the breath, the quality of the breath. Bringing the breath to a nice natural inhale through the nose. And an exhale through the nose. For those of you guys that would like to stay here, just focus on breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation and then come back with some more guidance. If you're familiar with these chants, you're welcome to join along. Deep 
Fixating the mind on the breath. Whenever the mind moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You haven't done anything wrong. You're not bad at meditation. It's just the mind wandering like a wild animal. When you observe that, bring it back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. Observe the mind is off the breath. You don't need to label the thoughts. You don't need to try to figure out where they're coming from. You don't need to indulge in that thought. Just whenever you observe that the mind's off the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
would like to slowly make your way out of meditation just gradually come back into the class so each Wednesday we get together like this in order to encourage support and motivate each other in our meditation practice this is a great time to come together as a community to meditate and know that there's people all over the world meditating with you and it's an opportunity for you to gain insight into your practice, whether it's about meditation or any other aspect as part of this path, you're welcome to ask all those questions during these Wednesday sessions. So I'll just open things up to all of you for any questions that you might have. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and the moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. And then if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'll just kind of turn things over to all of you guys. Well, we have a question on Facebook from Biplop. It says, Sir, 
What is mindfulness directed to the body? Okay, so the Buddhist, when he talks about mindfulness directed to the body, he's talking about this as part of the full path is right mindfulness. And he describes four foundations of mindfulness. There's four aspects of mindfulness that a practitioner needs to develop in order to get to enlightenment. And when, when someone first starts out training with me, I will just have them generally understand mindfulness as awareness of mind. Just simple, easy, just start cultivating awareness of mind. But in reality, what the Buddha is guiding you towards is to develop the four foundations of mindfulness. And he calls it body as body, feelings as feelings, mind as mind, and mental objects as mental objects. That's the way he describes it. But the way that I help you to understand that is that body as body means having awareness of bodily sensations. So prior to discontentedness arising in the mind, there's going to be some bodily sensations. So if you've ever experienced anger and you felt this heat or this sharp pains or some sensation, maybe from the feet moving up the body, this is cluing you in that anger is starting to arise and you notice that as bodily sensations. Or if you've ever noticed pleasant feelings, certain pleasant feelings arise bodily sensations as well. So whether it's pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or even feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, something like shyness, somebody sometimes might say, I have butterflies in my stomach. This is the bodily sensation associated with the discontentedness of shyness. So as these feelings are starting to arise, there's bodily sensations that clue us in that something's going on here. And that's an opportunity for us if we have developed mindfulness to the level of being aware of the bodily sensations that we can cut it off and let it go there. That's the best thing that you can do. And that's where a practitioner is getting close to enlightenment. When they've developed the ability to observe the bodily sensations and they can then cut them off and easily let them go there this person's mind is nearing close to enlightenment as they're able to develop and cultivate that but oftentimes when we haven't developed that level of mindfulness then we overlook those bodily sensations because we don't have that awareness we don't have that mindfulness so the feelings come into the mind that's the second part of the foundations of mindfulness, these four foundations of mindfulness, is that if you're not observant of the bodily sensations, then they're going to become feelings in the mind. And there again, you feel the anger, you notice the sadness, or you observe the grief or the guilt or the shame, or you observe the happiness, the excitement, the thrill, or you observe the, the shyness or other dissatisfaction in the mind. There again, when they're feelings, you have the opportunity to cut it off and let it go. And that would be the next best thing. Then the third thing is that if you don't cut it off as feelings, it's going to affect the condition of your mind for a few hours or a few days or maybe a week or two. And you're going to notice that there's either pleasant feelings that are conditioned or there's going to be painful feelings that are conditioned, or these neither painful nor pleasant feelings that are conditioned on some impermanent condition. And it's now going to affect the condition of the mind for multiple hours and perhaps days or weeks. And now your moral conduct is going to be affected by this. So let's just take painful feelings, for example. If you have sadness or anger in the mind, 
and you didn't catch it as bodily sensations, you allowed it to become feelings in the mind, now it's affecting the condition of the mind, now the speech, the actions might be such that they're unskillful. And now this causes harm for you in your relationships that ultimately comes back to you. So we would like to catch it as bodily sensations if we can, if not catch it as feelings, if not observe the condition of the mind has been affected by this discontentedness arising and try to cut it off there because if you don't then it's going to form what's called a mental object this is the fourth aspect of the four foundations of mindfulness a mental object is something like ill will we're not born with ill will for example we don't have this mental object of ill will when we're born But what's happened is we've experienced multiple situations, multiple circumstances throughout our life where there was bodily sensations. We weren't aware of them. We experienced feelings in the mind that we weren't necessarily aware of what the cause was. We might have blamed other people. It affected the condition of our mind for longer and longer periods of time. And then eventually these mental objects of something like ill will or complacency or Uh, central desire, things like this get formed in the mind. And now they're much harder to let go of when they're mental objects. It can still be done. The Buddhist teachings train us how to eliminate mental objects from the mind. But if you allow these experiences, these craving desire attachments to continue and persist, then you're going to be experiencing these bodily sensations, feelings, conditions of mind and mental objects. And now the more deeply rooted these mental objects are is the harder they are to get rid of. So what you're doing is you're kind of unraveling all of that as part of this path to enlightenment is as you learn the entire path and you understand the four foundations of mindfulness, you're kind of cutting off any feeding of these mental objects because whatever mental objects are in the mind right now, those are the mental objects that are in your mind. But you don't want to feed them any more anger. You don't want to feed them any more complacency. You don't want to feed them anymore. So as you develop this mindfulness or right mindfulness, you become deeply aware of these bodily sensations, these feelings, the condition of the mind, and you cut it off sooner and sooner and sooner. And when you can cut it off at the bodily sensations, then you're preserving the mind, maintaining the contentedness. You're protecting your contentedness. You're guarding the doorways of discontentedness. By having awareness of the bodily sensations and cutting it off there, you're guarding the doorways so that this discontentedness doesn't permeate through the mind, becoming feelings, affecting the condition of the mind, and forming mental objects. And this is how you clear out the mind and you empty the mind, is that you don't feed it anymore You don't feed these mental objects anymore. You cut it off at the bodily sensations and let it go. And then these mental objects of something like ill will, we're using loving kindness meditation to gradually transform this. So if your mind has ill will, which it most likely does to a certain degree, any craving desire attachments that's creating any new situations where the bodily sensations are arising, you like to cut that off and cut that off and cut that off so it's not feeding this mental object. You cut those off, cut off the bodily sensations, don't allow it to become feelings. But if it becomes feelings, cut it off there. 
if you don't cut it off at the feelings, cut it off at the condition of the mind. And then while you're working on that, you're also working with loving kindness meditation to transform this mental object of ill will into loving kindness. And now through your daily life, you are practicing loving kindness through your intentions, speech and actions, being polite, kind, friendly and respectful. And this is how you transform the mind gradually over time. Also asks, uh, sir, what is freedom from strong feelings? So the strong feelings are the discontentedness. So the pleasant feelings, painful feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, that's the discontentedness. And the strong feelings is what we're talking about, is that that happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, all of that is a strong feeling that is becoming about because of craving, desire, attachment. Painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. That's all strong feelings that are coming about and arising because of craving, desire, attachment. And then for neither painful nor pleasant, I usually say boredom, loneliness, shyness, any kind of uncomfortableness, displeasure, dissatisfaction. That's neither painful nor pleasant. That's all because of craving, desire, attachment as well. These are all strong feelings. So the Buddha describing the elimination of strong feelings, that's what you're doing through this path to enlightenment is you're eliminating the conditions that are causing those strong feelings to arise. The conditions are craving, anger, and ignorance. Those are the defilements or the pollution of mind. By eradicating those, then you're not going to experience these strong feelings. You're eliminating the condition of basing your inner feelings on some impermanent condition. So therefore, you won't have this up and down and up and down of these strong feelings. So you're eliminating the conditioned feelings, these strong feelings. That's what enlightenment is, that ultimately the mind resides steady, stable, unshakable, in the middle, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. On Zoom, Jean has a question. She writes, Thank you, Richard David. I have some sensation during meditation today, like my head got very large and that I was very hot. Should I try to cut this off as we would a thought and come back to the breath? Yes. And that's normal, Jan, that when people are training their mind and their awakening, that a lot of people talk about the expansion of the head. It almost feels like an elephant head. It becomes so large. And you can experience this over multiple sessions, multiple weeks, multiple months. It's not permanent. Essentially, what's happening is as you're training the mind, the mind is not the brain and the brain is not the mind, but there's changes that are occurring in the brain the organ of the brain, the physical brain. And we oftentimes sense that and we feel like the head is expanding like the size of an elephant. And you'll experience that perhaps over multiple sessions. It's not permanent. And wherever you observe that, just know that that's what's happening and just bring the mind back to the breath, bring it back to the breath. And when you observe those bodily sensations, that's part of what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is this mindfulness or this awareness of mind. You're becoming aware of all these bodily sensations that are occurring. 
and you're becoming aware of it in meditation, but then you become more aware of that in daily life too, that as you become aware of it in meditation, now you have developed that awareness, that mindfulness in meditation, that now you're more aware of it outside of meditation. So in meditation, whenever you observe those bodily sensations of the head expanding or heat or anything like that, you cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. And gradually, as you're developing this ability in meditation more and more, then you also develop that ability in daily life too. That as something happens and you observe the bodily sensations based on some situation that you're involved in, then you're able to easily cut that off and let that go. And you're developing that in meditation and then you're applying it outside of meditation as well so that you think about your training as not just in meditation, but also in daily life too. But in meditation, we can really look at the mind and really see these things very clearly and develop our skills and abilities more and more so that then we're in daily life, you're maybe talking on the phone, You know, you're talking to your husband, you're doing various things in life, you're at work and things aren't as still as they are in meditation, but you still have those abilities because you developed and cultivated them in meditation. So now you have those stronger abilities outside of meditation as well. So the same things that you're doing in meditation, you do outside of meditation. The only difference is that in meditation, you're eliminating all arising of any thoughts that when the mind moves off the breath you cut it off and bring it back and cut it off and bring it back remember we're not eliminating them we're just aware of them and cutting them off and bringing them back in daily life we're only cutting off and letting go of the unwholesome thoughts so if you observe conditioned pleasant feelings conditioned painful feelings conditioned neither painful nor pleasant feelings and you're observing it as bodily sensations that's really really good And when you observe that in daily life, you cut them off and let them go because any bodily sensations associated with arising feelings of pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, this is the red light. You know, I talk about discontentedness as being the red light on your dashboard. This is kind of like if you're driving the car and you hear that little noise, the red light on your dashboard hasn't come on yet, but you hear the noise in the car and you're like, ah, something's going on here. Maybe I better check this out. So the bodily sensations are that. It's not the red light of discontentedness, but it's that little sound kind of telling you something's going on. And if you can fix it there, then it won't cause all kinds of other problems. You won't ever get to the red light. So when you experience those bodily sensations, cut them off and let them go. And then eventually, when you do that enough, the craving desire attachments will be eliminated from the mind and you won't experience any arising bodily sensations associated with any discontentedness because there's no discontentedness arising. But you have to become aware of those bodily sensations deeply enough and cut them off frequently enough, being diligent to cut them off that you don't tolerate this discontentedness arising. And when you do that over extended periods of time, eventually there is no craving, desire, attachment in the mind. And that's where it's just steady, stable, and unshakable. And you don't even have any bodily sensations that arise because there's no craving, desire, attachments that are producing that in the mind that ultimately becomes bodily sensations. A question from Mayan, she writes, does presence of one 
of the three poisons mean that at some deeper layer, all three of these anger, hatred, ill will exist. I'm not sure if I understand the question 100%, Bassam, but let me just see if I do. Is Manal saying, like, if there's something like irritation, does that mean that there's... Okay, she raised her hand. She's going to clarify. Hi, teacher David, right? So I suppose what I'm trying to ask is if there is something that is repeatedly coming up and one can trace um, that experience to relating to anger, frustration and anger. Uh, If there's frustration, then there is some anger. Um, And if that is something that's noted, then would that mean that one would have to work on all the three poisons equally? Or is it that um, I would need to really, really just focus on the anger portion? Because at this point, the mind does not see that there is ill will attached or hatred attached. Okay. So as the mind progresses towards awakening, the discontentedness slowly diminishes. So just because there's frustration doesn't mean there's necessarily anger. So as the mind awakens, there can be, you know, this diminishing where you even just kind of get annoyed or irritated occasionally, but it never arises to the level of anger, for example. But the quality of mind is still the same, even though we call it anger, hatred, ill will. It's all describing that same poison, that second poison or that second unwholesome root. Even though it's showing up as annoyance or irritation, it's still from this poison that we label and describe as anger, hatred, ill will. It just may be not manifesting to that level. We describe it as that, you know, anger, hatred, ill will, but it's just kind of showing up as irritation or annoyance, but it's still coming from that same aspect of mind that you can learn about and we can talk about it today or you can learn about it in chapter eight so it's there that poison's there if the mind is experiencing that but it just might not be rising to the level of anger if you're experiencing irritation or annoyance or frustration or of course anger then all three of those poisons are still in the mind they're still craving because that's what's arising the anger and they're still ignorance because the mind doesn't yet understand the wisdom of how to eliminate craving that's why it's becoming anger so even though we refer to these three poisons as craving anger and ignorance really if we were going to put these in order it's really ignorance craving and anger that's really how it happens is because of ignorance craving still exists in the mind and when there's craving there's going to be anger in the lesser versions of that of frustration, irritation, annoyance, and what have you. So when you're working to resolve all of this, you're actually working on all three at the same time. So like you being in class today, you're working on ignorance. You're working on the unknowing of true reality. You're trying to learn the teachings so that you can reflect on them and you can practice them to transform that ignorance into wisdom. And the more that you do that and you gain this wisdom, you eradicate more and more craving, desire, attachment. And the more you eradicate craving, desire, attachment, you're going to be eliminating the anger, hatred, ill will, and all those lesser versions. And that's why it kind of slowly diminishes where you can go six months, a year or so, where you haven't seen any anger necessarily. That's not there, but you're just 
getting kind of annoyed or irritated every once in a while. And that's how this discontentedness diminishes. So that hopefully helps you and gets to the heart of your question. Yes, it has helped. It has helped and I'll continue to investigate this. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. On YouTube, we have a question from IA. Can you please explain how one can become more aware of sensations in the body before they turn into emotions? Okay, so the breathing mindfulness meditation is key for that. You need to develop that practice where two to three times a day for 30 minutes or more, you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation. And then in breathing mindfulness meditation, when you're observing bodily sensations, just be aware of them and then know that they're impermanent and work to cut them off and let them go and come back to the breath. And not only are you becoming aware of the bodily sensations and breathing mindfulness meditation, but you're slowing the mind down by focusing on the breath and gradually breathing in and gradually breathing out. You're gradually slowing the mind down so that in daily life, your mind isn't just rapidly bouncing from task to task to task to task. So now in daily life, if you've been practicing breathing mindfulness meditation for longer and longer periods of time for two to three sessions up to 30 minutes or more. Now in daily life, you practice mindfulness all the time. You're always aware of the mind, whether you're driving, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you're talking, whether you're eating, you always practice mindfulness, awareness of mind. And then you also practice right concentration, which is singleness of mind. So if you're eating, you just eat and that's all you do. You don't eat and watch TV at the same time or you don't eat, watch TV and talk on the phone because you're not going to have mindfulness. You can't have mindfulness when your mind is doing all these erroneous tasks back to back to back to back, rapidly switching. So you develop this in meditation, but then as a comprehensive approach to your training, you practice all these eight factors of the Eightfold Path in daily life. This connects to Manal's question too, is that you're never just kind of purely working on one thing necessarily, although you might be doing one thing at a time, you're always looking to cultivate all factors of this path more and more and more. So if you think about the Eightfold Path as like individual dials, like a sound equipment, and you're trying to draw in the most beautiful sound through these speakers. You're trying to tweak these individual dials. You're always trying to tweak right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration to be more and more of the ideal of what the Buddha taught. So you're bringing your practice up closer and closer to that all the time. But knowing that you're going to take steps back and take steps back and back and back, and but you're always working towards forward progress. So to develop awareness of the bodily sensations, you need to do that in meditation, but then you also need to cultivate it in daily life. And if you allow the mind to rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing, not practicing something like singleness of mind, then you're not going to be able to have the mindfulness. So while I always say that you can't attain enlightenment without meditation, you can't attain enlightenment with only meditation either. So that's why this path is a comprehensive approach that you need to think about training your mind at all waking hours of the day. Even when you're laying in bed, 
and you've just woken up in the morning and your thoughts start to come and start to arise, even there, if you have any unwholesome thoughts, you got to cut them off and let them go. Or even when you're falling asleep at night and you start reviewing your day, perhaps that's what the mind's doing. And you're having unwholesome thoughts there. Even as you're starting to doze off the sleep, you have to cut off those thoughts and let them go. You can't tolerate any unwholesomeness in the mind. So whether it's when you first wake up, when you go to sleep or at any part during your day, you're always practicing mindfulness and aware of this wild animal that wants to get up and just run in the opposite direction. And that's where you need to be there to train it and control it. And you can get more and more aware of these bodily sensations. If you're noticing in daily life any anger or frustration and all these other discontent feelings arising, you need to start observing what's happening prior to that. Whether it's a pleasant feeling, a painful feeling, or a feeling that's neither painful nor pleasant, start to slow the mind down and observe those bodily sensations that are occurring prior to any of these arising feelings that come into the mind. On Facebook, I have a question from Barakshet. What to do if there are painful sensations, say like sudden numbness in the feet, and there is inability to cut that off easily? If this is in meditation, then you should try to change your body positioning to allow the circulation to flow. That numbness in the feet is telling you that something's wrong and there, there's probably a nerve pinch somewhere or you're not allowing the circulation to flow. So you need to change body positioning either in the seated position to adjust your hips, your knees, your ankles, or perhaps you need to lie down and kind of open up the body so you can have straight legs, straight torso and straight arms. This will help restore the circulation and nerve flow to the body. If this is in daily life where you're just sitting somewhere and you're experiencing numbness, same thing. You need to adjust the body in order to get the numbness to be gone. And you may even be interested if these things aren't working is to consult with a medical professional, see if there's anything medical going on. Because if you've decided to move to a all plant-based food supply, then if you're lacking something like B12, you can have this numbness and tingling in the extremities. So you can look at all these different things is look at the circulation, the nerve flow in your body positioning and meditation and outside of meditation. But then you might also be interested to look at any medical concerns that might be affecting that as well. What can one do if one experiences boredom while in meditation sessions? Same thing. Cut that off and let that go. That's a feeling that's arising in the mind because of craving, desire, attachment. The craving, desire, attachment is the mind doesn't want to just sit there and focus on the breath and develop concentration. The mind wants to engage with all of this world. It's craving engagement. It's craving stimulation. It doesn't want to just sit there and be content with just the breath. So if you can train the mind in meditation to be just content with the breath, then when you're outside looking at the trees or you see birds and you interacting with your friends, like, wow, this stuff is all wonderful because you've gotten the mind to be content and peaceful all the way to the point where all you need is the body, the mind and the breath. And the mind can be completely content with those things and just, you know, nothing needs to be stimulated. So if you're experiencing boredom, which 
a lot of people do when they first get started is that the mind can be bored during meditation because it's craving something else. It wants something else. It's not satisfied with what is. So in order to train the mind to be satisfied with what is, whenever you see discontentedness arise, boredom is one of those discontent feelings, then you cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. And the more that you do this in meditation, eventually you'll break through the boredom, not only in meditation, but then you'll break through it outside of meditation too. Because if you're experiencing boredom in meditation, you're most likely experiencing boredom outside of meditation at different times as well. So if you give in to the boredom during meditation and you're like, oh, I'm bored, I'm just going to go do something else, then you're kind of accepting that boredom is something that you're going to allow to come into the mind. And you're not only going to experience it during meditation, you're going to experience it outside of meditation too. So if you can break through the boredom in meditation by cutting it off and letting it go, then you can break through the boredom outside of meditation because it won't arise as much. Eventually, it'll completely be eliminated from the mind when you eliminate craving, desire, attachment. But you'll never get to that if you don't work on eliminating it in meditation. In a discussion about meditation, someone said that he regularly open his eyes and look at the clock to see if he has finished his meditation session time or not yet. Is it a kind of boredom? This is craving desire attachment where the mind is longing with a strong eagerness for how long you've meditated for. And this is why I don't suggest that you meditate in front of a clock or that you meditate with an alarm wherever possible. I suggest that you don't set an alarm, you don't sit in front of a clock, that you just sit somewhere where none of that stuff is present because the mind is going to have this longing and strong eagerness and continually open the eyes to look for what time it is. And this is what you're trying to remedy from the mind because the craving desire attachment is what's causing the discontentedness. So as long as you set an alarm or you sit in front of a clock, the mind's going to keep longing for how long you've meditated for. So instead, you just set up your environment so that those things don't exist. Now, occasionally you might need to use an alarm. If you're going off to work and you can't meditate longer than a certain period of time, you may occasionally need an alarm. But in the evenings and on the weekends, times when you're off, you don't need to be anywhere particularly, then it's best to meditate with no time at all. No alarm, no nothing, just sit in meditation or lie or stand or walking just do your meditation then when you're done you're done if you notice when we're meditating here like i don't have an alarm i don't set an alarm i don't even know how long we meditate for i i kind of suspect that it's like 20 to 30 minutes but i don't really know sometimes when i'm meditating with students i'm often not deep in meditation because i know that if i went deep in meditation it would be my own session and it might last longer than what students are really interested to meditate. So I tend to be a little bit more aware when I'm teaching meditation versus when I'm in my own practice. When I'm teaching, I've always got a certain amount of awareness of time. And I try to kind of make the meditations around 20 or 30 minutes, even though 30 minutes or longer is the goal. But in my own meditation, when I'm practicing by myself, I have no idea what time it is. About once a week, once every two weeks, I will look at the time at what time I started and then I will meditate and then when I'm done I will look to see what time it is when I'm done and I just do this maybe once a week once every two weeks just to be sure I'm still in that 30 minutes or more a uh, time frame because when I'm in meditation you know all sense of time is gone and I'm not interested in 
being complacent and allowing the mind to kind of get away with just a five or ten minute meditation session. So that's why occasionally I will look at the time. I'm not timing the meditation, but I'm just being aware of the time to be sure that I'm getting at least 30 minutes or more. So you really need to let go of this craving to look for what time it is. So what I would suggest you do is that at least for the next two weeks is don't even look at the time before you start meditating or the time when you're done. For the next two weeks, do two or three meditation sessions where you don't even look at the time. It's not even something that you care about. Just start your meditation, do it, and then when you're done, you're done. Don't even think about what time it is. This is going to be very challenging for the mind because it's got that craving in there. But you need to train the mind to let that go. And the way that you do that is just completely get rid of even tracking your time at all. And then if you're noticing after two weeks that you've pretty much let it go, then you could always kind of look once a week or once every two weeks. What time did you start and what time did you end? But at the end of two weeks, if the mind is still holding on to this craving and you still have this urge to know what time it is and how long you meditated, then you need to extend it to like a month or two of never looking at the time during meditation or before or after meditation. Just meditate. You're going to need to do a whole lot of meditating in order to awaken the mind. So you need to get used to meditating without looking at the time, because as long as the mind's craving to know how long you meditated, there's still craving, desire, attachment in the mind and the mind's holding on. So you need to let go of that aspect of the mind. And the only way you can do that is set up where you're not looking at the time during meditation. Hey, thanks, teacher. No more question. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining for today's class and coming together to support, encourage, and motivate each other. As you guys know, we teach every Sunday and Wednesday. We also teach on Saturdays as well in the Poly Canon and English Study Group. But this group learning program is the best place to start. Is This Sunday, we're going to be in Chapter 16, Dissolving the Ego. The Ego Serves No Purpose. And we're progressing week by week on Sundays through this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. So you can get a copy of this, either download it or print it or order a printed copy. And you can read the chapter before or after class or before and after class. And when we finish with the program, we'll restart it from the beginning. So if you're coming into this program, either on the podcast or YouTube channel or Facebook and you're fairly new, then that's okay because we're going to be restarting the whole thing. And there's very common for students to take this program multiple times, two, three, four times or, or more and continue to learn because each time you go through the program, you actually are learning more and more and absorbing more and understanding more, applying more in your practice. And this is where you can gradually see the discontentedness of mind is gradually diminishing as you build up your wisdom eradicating that ignorance or unknowing of true reality, you're going to also be eliminating the craving, desire, attachment, and you're going to be eliminating that anger, hatred, ill will, and all the other discontent feelings. And you'll see this peacefulness, this calmness, this serenity, this contentedness and joy come into the mind more and more where you're kind of getting glimpses of what enlightenment looks like. And then you just kind of expand that more and more where instead of just a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds or a couple of hours of experiencing that, you get multiple days, multiple weeks, multiple months 
but it's going to be like this light flickering and you're going to experience these minutes, hours, days, weeks, months of this life flickering on and off where you'll experience some discontentedness come into the mind and that's normal. It's part of this path. But over time, the discontentedness will diminish and the peacefulness and stability will increase. But you've got to do the work. And here you can learn and you can understand and get guidance in order to help you progress on this path. So I'll see you either this Sunday for chapter 16, Dissolving the Ego, Ego Serves No Purpose, or next Wednesday for Loving Kindness Meditation, where we'll be doing that together as a group. I'll see you in in the next class. Have a really lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.